him, that his body will mend, and that he will be back on his feet and back to preaching and ministering to our family here at CCM. Bless us all this morning, Lord. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All righty. We're going to do Matthew chapter 17. So if you want to begin, you can open your Bibles or phones to Matthew 17 and verse 1. But just hold it there. We're going to talk about the eyes today, and that is the E-Y-E-S, eyes. In Psalm... 119, verse 18, we read about the eyes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And we flip over quickly to Proverbs 20 and verse 12. We read, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Of course, Ephesians 1.18 talks about the eyes of the heart, and that is so that you may know. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. We're talking about the eyes, but we've included our ears here. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And when the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So our text this morning began with, after six days, in verse 1. Well, that would lead us to back up to chapter 16 to find out what happened about six days ago or so. We read that Peter was absolutely adamant that the Lord will not die and suffer. He said, surely not. And we know the Lord's reply. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't need a lecture here. He was looking for some compassion. He was looking for encouragement for what was to lay just around the corner. It's a good time to remember here that at this time when Jesus was on the earth, he was fully human. He was able to be tempted, just like you and I. We're no different. When we face these insurmountable objects, these obstacles, these hurdles, oftentimes we want to give up. That's what our small group's been studying. 
don't give up. And we've been using Hebrews 12 as the text. You know, run the race that is set before you. We've got a cloud of witnesses before us. For six months, I've been able, unable to walk without the assistance of a crutch or a brace. All of a sudden, they dumped me into this high-energy uh, rehabilitation and exercise program where I'm carrying 40-pound weights in each arm and supposed to be doing squats and reverse flies, and I can't even tell you what half of these things are. And I can't do it. But there's always somebody that comes along and will say, nice try, Doug. You did a good job today, Doug. You're making improvements, Doug. Of course, I walk out of there and go, okay, if you think so. It's encouraging to hear these things. They didn't come along and say, how come you're not moving with those 40-pound weights? Nice things, encouraging. That's what our Lord needed. Look, there's times when somebody else's race definitely looks better than ours. You know, they're living an easy life. I want to go with them. Put your eyes back where they belong. The writer of Hebrew tells us we are to run our race, the one that is set before us, not our neighbors. Just a single word of encouragement is enough to drive temptation out. The temptation to give up. The book that Kyle Eidelman wrote that we are uh, studying in our small group says the time when you are most ready to throw in the towel and quit is often the time when victory is right there. We quit just one step too soon. You say, well, easy for you to say. Hey, I know that's tough. You think, how many times do I have to keep going into this dead-end job? How many times do I have to continue to talk to my spouse that is non-responsive? Keep on. Keep on. You're about to have something happen unless you quit. Now, we know Christ is not, was not a quitter. Satan is the one that is trying to tell us, I'll just give up. You've put enough into it. You've worked hard enough. You spend enough hours, enough time, enough dollars, just walk away. You'll be happier. Look how happy they are over there running their race. Don't give up. Back to our six days. The next lesson, Jesus said we must take up our cross. He asked this question, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In other words, this world has so little to offer Keep your eyes on your soul. Matthew 6 tells us that the word of God, or the word of God in Matthew 6 tells us, the eye is the lamp of the body. What we choose to see, what we allow to come into our eyes, yes, it can have eternal consequences. What excites our eyes and we allow to get into our heart creates the possibility for sin, creates that temptation eternal consequences. Watch what you're looking at. Look, what we're concentrating on with our eyes is going to get all or most of our attention. You know that. Try and have a conversation with your child or grandchild when the TV's on. Or worse yet, when they have that small little device in their hand. You're getting nowhere. They're not listening. Their eyes are somewhere else. You're not going to win that fight. So six days passed. These guys had some time to think, to ponder on what they'd seen and what they heard. Then we read, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now Luke tells us he went up there to pray. He needed encouragement from the Father. That is a huge lesson for us today. 
You need encouragement? Go pray. You've got concerns? Go pray. You don't have to go up a mountain. Go to your knees. And if you can't get on your knees, go to a chair. Go in prayer. So we have this neat little inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And they were gathered for a specific purpose. And we do the same. You think of a wedding. You have your bridal party, your bridesmaids, and your groomsmen. You want people there to witness this special event. You want them to be able to testify years down the road what a great day it was and, and how exciting it was to be a part of that. Legal documents require witnesses in order to be valid. Verse 2, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. This was a reward for Peter, James, and John. A reward that they would use in the building of our church and an encouragement that would last their entire lives. How do you feel about it? Are you encouraged when you read these verses? When you hear about this, uh, this radiance, the, the shining, makes you think of Moses, doesn't it? When Moses was on Mount Sinai and he was talking with God. Difference there. Only Moses' face. Here it's the entire body of Jesus. Moses' face shone. Christ's entire body. John's Gospel, chapter 17. You can read about that glory if you'd like. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Talking with him is Jesus. Why those two? I'm sure we can come up with a lot of names. Abraham, Job, James, you name it. We could come up with a lot of names. Why, why are we talking to Moses and Elijah and Jesus on the mountain? A couple of ideas. They both suffered discouragement, Moses and Elijah. They both talked with God on a mountain. My buddy, Dr. Jim Smith, tells me that the appearance of those two men is and was proof that death is not the final chapter in God's plan. And they both were glorified. Let's get back to Peter here and read verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. John 13, Gospel of John. In verses 6 through 10. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am I do what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Look, Peter's a hero. He's a giant in our faith. He did have some misconceptions at some times, and often he leapt before looking. I, just, I love his attitude. Issue one. You didn't get that. That was my John McLaughlin moment. Peter put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Jesus was not just one of the prophets. Issue two. He didn't yet fully understand his great confession that he had just uttered. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, Jesus was a prophet. 
and a priest and a king. Moses and Elijah were not. No, they were not equals. Go back to chapter 16, and we remember that rebuke. That rebuke came from Jesus when he said, get behind me, Satan. This next one, in verse 5, is coming from heaven. He was still speaking, when behold, a bright light overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, throughout the Bible, the presence of a cloud indicates the presence of God. This was a bright cloud. Listen to him. What was just spoken here? These are my prophets. Listen to them. No, only one was recognized. Jesus, this is my son. Listen to him. A little bit about my buddy Peter. If we go back, he's the one that took the initiative to leave the boat. He asked, Lord, call me. And Jesus said, come. Way to go, Peter. Way to go. He was rewarded then as he is now. Then and now, however, Peter lost his focus. And folks, this is really easy to do. We daily must be on guard. Our jobs, our family, our health, uh, other belief systems, politics. Be careful. Be careful what we're putting in. See, this transfiguration, it was all about Jesus. But Peter's excitement, it seems normal. I mean, let's be honest. What would we do if we saw that? Well, here's a question. Any accident on the road requires that people going in both directions slow down and look at what just happened. And oftentimes, that causes another accident. Just keep your eyes and your ears focused on what you need to be doing. Drive to work, drive to home, drive to the store. Let the emergency personnel handle what's going on on the side of the road. Chuck Colson wrote a book back in the early 90s called How Now Shall We Live? And in it, he asks three questions. How did we get here? What went wrong? And how do we fix it? I'm going to go out on a limb here and think that everybody in this room knows the answers to those three questions. Jesus, sin, Jesus. Focus on Jesus, okay? So here Peter had almost exclusive access on the mountain to the sun, S-O-N, and he was about to miss this lesson again. And the end of that verse is our instructions this morning. Of everything that you hear me say, take this one home with you. Listen to him. Pray on it. Share it. Use it. Listen to him. And then what happened here? At the sound of God's voice, panic. They fell on their face. They dropped down in sheer terror. Frightened. Well, it's also acceptable practice in Asia in those days. That was um, a proper way to show reverence. So it could kind of go both ways. We don't really know. I think they were scared uh, and couldn't stand anymore. In the next verse, here in 7, we see the compassion of our Lord and Savior. He bent down and touched them, and he gave them the comfort and assurance that he so wanted from them. But yet they are fallen face down in the dirt, not capable of assisting him. Our Lord went out of the way, not really, to help them. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one, only Jesus, in verse 8. We don't need to look any further than Jesus. God wants us to only see Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king of our faith. No matter the temptation, focus on Jesus. Just as God spoke from that bright cloud, then and now, 
only one is recognized, Jesus. As they're walking down the mountainside, there's a question and answer time. As they're coming down the mountain, which Luke tells us was the next day, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. There's a lot of reasons why that request might have been made. Um, in any event, it gave them time to think and to meditate on those events. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus fully explained the transfiguration. That hadn't happened yet. The silence, the request to remain silent, also would have kept the men from boasting of that very, very intimate time that they would have spent with Jesus. Now, you know when they came down the mountain at the rest of the 12, what happened? What happened? What did he say? What did you see? What happened? Jesus said, don't tell anybody, including them. It would have leaked out. There's no way. You got 12 people in the same room. There is no way that that secret is being kept. Had they talked about it, they would have had to argue the event. And in that argument, Jesus would have gotten lost. Just like our arguments today. Well, your church doesn't do that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Jesus. Focus our eyes on Jesus. And if we want to argue whether the transfiguration actually happened and when it happened and on what mount, the topic is lost. And the topic is Christ. The topic is Jesus. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. Folks, this is just a, we talked in Sunday school, a run-of-mill conversation. These are friends that are taking a hike down the mountain after seeing something wonderful, and they're conversing with Jesus. You don't need special language to talk to Jesus. You don't need a degree. You don't need any kind of anything except the words that are in your heart, and you express those to the Lord, and he does receive them. This is about relationship here. These men were so close to Christ that normal conversation occurred, even after transfiguration. Now, wouldn't you think somebody would have said, hey, uh, what all that bright light, and what would that mean? Uh, we know what it means. It was his glory, the glory that he first had when he was with his Father in heaven, and it was shown again for a brief moment on that mountain with witnesses from glory to glory. That is what happened on that transfiguration. But you know that those guys had other questions, but they refrained from asking. God tells us to pour out our heart, and I encourage you to do that. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him. They didn't see him. They couldn't see him, but did to him whatever they pleased. That's what they did. Here is the second time that Jesus announces his death. So also, the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Look, the Jews didn't recognize John as the Elijah of prophecy. Matter of fact, they laughed him off as some kind of religious fanatic. They didn't see Scripture being fulfilled in John. And they didn't see the Scripture being fulfilled in Jesus. My prayer this morning is, is that we all do see that. Our prophet, our priest, our king, 
he has fulfilled the scriptures. He is the only one that fits that office. He is the only one that Zechariah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all prophesied, and every one of them points to one man and one man only, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the only one that fills all those prophecies. So what in the world does all this have to do with me? Your relationship with Jesus Christ matters. The relationship that Peter, James, and John had allowed them to become part of this inner circle, this close friendship, these workers together. How close are you with the Lord? Can you sit here this morning and say, I'm, I'm pretty somewhere between John and Peter, or I'm trying, I'm trying to get like James' brother. Are you working towards a better relationship with Jesus? I pray you are. You've been invited to that inner circle, you know. Every one of us. We've been invited to the table, and we're invited to this inner circle, the family of God. Are you sharing what you see and know about Jesus? They did. They were excited. And yet Jesus told them, tell no one. Well, he's not telling us to tell no one. He's telling us, tell everybody. Take this message everywhere you go. Not asking us. It's a commandment. Through prayer, we have access to our high priest, Jesus. Are you faithfully using that access every day, every hour? Do you fully appreciate the power of prayer? Look, Jesus is our example. He went up the mountain to pray. He was discouraged. He stopped his day and went up the mountain and brought a few close friends with him. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we need to do. Stop what we're doing. Go to the Lord in prayer. There's a good song about that too, but follow the example that Christ has put before us. The transfiguration allowed the three to be eyewitnesses to the confirmation of everything Jesus claimed to be. Eyewitness testimony is about the best valid kind you can get. We learned this morning, too, wherever two or more are gathered to bring witnesses, there's three. Peter, James, and John. You have three witnesses to this event. And the event was they got a, they got a glimpse of something so special. The full glory of God seen in his Son. They got to hear the voice of God from the bright cloud say, this is my son, listen to him. You and I are witnesses to the transformation, transformation of ourselves and our loved ones. We are a living testimony. When people say, I can't believe you are the same person that I knew 30 years ago, bravo. That's what we want to hear. If they say, oh, you're the same guy I knew back when we were in college. Oh, Lord, we need to pray. It's good to progress to be more like 
Christ. When we realize that we are a living, walking, talking testimony, use that to focus on Jesus. Not you. Who you're witnessing with. What we do, what we say, does not point to us to say how good of a person we are or how great a church we have or what awesome events we do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all about Jesus Christ. If you have a good word to say, you say it about Christ. If you have a good work to do, you give the credit to Christ. If you've had success, you credit Christ. Give him the glory in every circumstance. Years ago in, in a church in Kansas, I heard this, and it took me years to figure it out. The preacher did a service on keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing. What? There's a lot of main things there. And it took me a long time. Well, at first, you have to identify what the main thing is. And then you have to work to keep it the main thing. And you have to make sure that keeping it is the main thing. It's not a once-in-a-while thing. It's not a weekend excursion. It's an everyday part of our life, is to keep the main thing the main thing. And if you haven't figured it out, the main thing is Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. Peter got distracted. So do we. How do we limit our distractions? Here's a checklist. Study your Bible. Fellowship with the saints. Faithful attendance every Sunday morning. We must exercise our faith daily. It takes practice. And as Peter shows us, thankfully, if you miss the mark, Jesus doesn't remove you from his circle. For all of Peter's failings, he still preached the first gospel message. God used Peter. He will use us. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father, it's a big task to be a Christian. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of love. And I pray, Father, that we can take the words, the Holy Scriptures, apply them to our life, apply them to our circumstances, to share them freely. And that, Lord, wherever we find ourselves, whether we are in the process of a trial or whether we are rejoicing, I pray, God, that we focus on your Son. You have told us to listen to him. So, Lord, we listen to him through Sunday school, through the sermons, through preaching, through teaching, through your word. Help us, Lord, to have our ears open and attentive to all that your Son has to say to us. Focus our eyes. Let not the distraction of who is on the mountain or who is saying what or what is happening or the bright light that is shining in our face. Let us maintain focus of keeping the main thing, the main thing. Lord, I pray that you are glorified this day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.